Hey, well, would you agree that the advice of this world is often flawed and often dangerous? Yes, absolutely. And, and even though it may be given, may be given by kind people and caring people, but they can be completely wrong. It may be well-intentioned, but misguided. May, they may want to be helpful, but the advice they give actually is hurtful. And they can come across very religious or very logical, but still very dangerous. And sometimes bad advice can, become, can come to us by relatives, uh, by coworkers, by complete strangers, or by cults showing up at your door, knocking, saying hi uh, on a Saturday afternoon, okay? And you and I must exercise discernment when it comes to listening to the advice of other people. This is a very important and it's very true uh, for especially for people who are unbelievers because their eternity is on the line. But it's also very important for us as believers to be very careful with advice that comes our way and learn to discern because bad advice can lead us to wrong directions, and wrong directions can lead to very deadly consequences. And this is exactly the next lesson we want to look at with with Christian as this pilgrim is making his way to the celestial city. Now, he's been in the slough of despond, and he was helped out by a guy named Help. And, And he was traveling with a man named Pliable. Was Pliable a true convert or a false convert? He was a false convert. There was an excitement there, kind of the thorny soil kind of guy received the truth, but as soon as trouble happened, he was out of there. There's a lot of people like that that are false converts. They make a profession of faith. They seem to be true believers, but they are not true believers. Well, Christian is traveling along with Pliable. They're not paying attention. They're not prayerful. They both fall into this slough of despond. Pliable, he leaves. He's out of there. He doesn't want the trials that come with a Christian life. Christian is helped out, as I said, by a man named Helped. Help reminds him of the steps that were already there. And the steps are the word of God. The word of God, the promises of God, the teachings of God, the importance of being in the word of the living God, the advice God gives, the promises, the truths of God's word. And and no sooner is Christian helped out and told about the importance of the steps that he meets a man named Mr. Worldly Wiseman. And Mr. Worldly Wiseman is all ready to offer advice to this man on how to live his life and and how to live it well and and to give him insight and, and his take on religion and what's the best thing to do and to point him not to the Bible, but basically to the nearest self-help book. Isn't that just like our world today? They'll be real fast to point you to a self-help book, but not to the word of God. Unfortunately for Christian, this pilgrim goes right off course as many of us do, and you say, how dumb is he? And we just need to look in the mirror and realize how dumb we are at times, listening to the advice of the world instead of the advice of God's holy word. And so I've titled this message tonight, Recognizing the Danger of Worldly Wisemen. Recognizing the Danger of Worldly Wisemen. We'll look at some passages We'll also look at some of the, the writings of John Bunyan and what he has to say about Christian and this worldly wise man. The first point is this. The danger of worldly wise men, number one, is this. They will contradict the word of God and the word of godly people. They will contradict the word of God and the word of godly people. Now, Christian is on his way looking for the wicked gate, and we've noticed, we understand what the wicked gate is. That's the narrow gate. Matthew chapter 7, we're told, enter through the narrow gate. 
Why? The gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. Many are those who enter through it. The gate is small, the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. So he's been told where to go. He's on his way to the narrow gate. And and we've learned that Jesus is the narrow gate. He tells us, John chapter 10, Jesus said, I am the door, I am the gate. Two times he says, I am the door. Anyone enters through me, he will be saved. He'll go in and out and find pasture. The thief though, he comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and might have it what? Abundantly. So this narrow gate gives you life abundant. The wide gate gives you life of nothingness. And eternal destruction. And so he's on his way to the narrow gate. But in the world's eyes, this door is way too narrow. You're narrow in your thinking, you Christians. You're so intolerant, you Christians. You're so judgmental, you Christians. You're so narrow, is what the world would say. And we would say, yes, the way is narrow. The way is narrow. But boy, is their life abundant for those who enter through Jesus. So consider the wisdom of the world for a second here. First John 4, 5. I hate that. Do you know what just happened? You forgot to turn off. I forgot to turn off Wi-Fi. So a call came in from my son. <laughs> I should have answered it is what I really should have done because he's actually in a camp up in Wisconsin and I can't get calls very often from him. But anyway, first, first it's too late. I already turned it off. First John 4 or 5, but he'll get a kick out of what I just told him. First John 4 or 5. By the way, that happened on Sunday as I'm preaching. I got a Facebook notice from somebody, and I'm like, ah! I can't stand that. Got to remember to turn it off. Okay, First John 4 or 5. Uh, they are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. Think about that. They're from the world, they're going to speak as from the world, and who's going to listen to them? People of the world, because they speak the same language. The people of this world speak the same language. It's kind of like they're in their own club, the club of this world. Do we fit into the world's club? No, No, we don't. You ever go somewhere and you just don't feel like you fit in? It's kind of a strange feeling, isn't it? I was thinking about this. I remember going to a resort and the resort led right through the casino floor and I just kind of felt oh, I don't like walking through the casino floor. It kind of feels awkward. Or I'm with my wife and she drags me into a lingerie store. I I just feel really out of place among the undies and stuff, okay? I just, you know? So when we're in the world, we're not a part of this world. We are citizens of what? The book of Philippians tells us. Citizens of heaven. That's our citizenship, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 2.14. 1 Corinthians 2.14, a natural man, an unsaved man, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. What we're looking at tonight is foolishness for the people of the world. It doesn't make sense to them. He cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised, but he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. They can't figure us out, but we can figure them out. And we understand the world through the eyes of God, but they can't get us. So, so seen as fools in the eyes of the world, make no sense to the people of this world because we are not of what? This world. First Corinthians 3, 18 through 20. The wisdom of this world in God's eyes is foolishness and it's useless. First Corinthians 3, 18 through 20. Let no man deceive you. 
If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. This world thinks they're so smart and God looks at them and says, you're such fools. He goes on, it is written, he is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasons of the wise, that they are useless. So the wisdom of this world is foolishness and the wisdom of this world is useless. It's important to understand that. Now, worldly wise men offers a painless solution to Christian. He offers a better solution, a quick solution, an easy fix to the burden of sin, the burden on his back that Christian is carrying with him. And he says, I can help you out. And as a matter of fact, worldly wisdom, wise men says this to Christian. In the way thou goest, wearisomeness, painfulness, hunger, perils, nakedness, sword, lions, dragons, darkness, and in a word, death and whatnot. He says, if you go that way, you're going to have nothing but pain and trial in this world. The advice will always give, the world will always give this advice. Choose comfort over discomfort. Choose the easy way, not the hard way. Choose your way, not God's way. That will be the wisdom of the world. Now, worldly wise men is right. When he tells Christian, you go this way, it's going to be wearisome, painful, hunger, perils, nakedness, sword, lions, dragons, darkness, word, death, whatnot. I want you to understand he's right. He's right. The Christian life is not an easy life, but it's a worthwhile life. It is worth it. The Christian life's not easy. That's why Pliable left. He said, man, I'm going to face trials. I don't want that. I want my comfort. I want my ease. I want you to understand something. It is not the way of ease, but it is the way of eternal life. And that's more important. You have to weigh it out. In the great hall of faith, we see the difficulties of many Christians down through the ages. Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 36. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom this world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. All, and all of these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. So, walking with Christ can be very difficult. Now, we're spoiled in this nation as Christians, and we're losing more and more of our freedoms as Christians. And persecution may eventually come here. But I want you to understand we still face some persecution when we take a stand for Christ. But our, our forebears, our forefathers, and those before us, and those in other countries today, They're losing their lives. They're losing their homes. They're losing their jobs. It is not easy at times to follow Jesus. It's not a way of ease, but it is a way of eternal life. And it is not a way of ease, but listen, it is the way of eternal love. It's the way of eternal love and eternal life. And, And so life, though, it is difficult at times. We are never without the love of God. And, and nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Romans chapter eight, verse 35. 
Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. That's how we conquer because of God's love. Verse 38, I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is anything going to separate you from the love of God? Nothing. So whatever trial you're going through, you're not separated from God's love. No matter who has betrayed you, you're not separated from the love of God. No matter what health problem you were just diagnosed with, you're not separated from the love of God. Nothing will separate you from the love of God. And so we have this incredible promise of eternal life and we have this incredible promise of eternal love no matter how hard this life gets for us as Christians. Now, recognizing the danger of worldly wise men, they will contradict the word of God and the word of godly people. Secondly, they will emphasize these four things. Carnality, morality, legality, and civility. I'll say it again. They will emphasize these four things. Carnality, morality, legality, and civility. You may say, well, what's carnality? Well, Mr. Worldly Wiseman, we're told, comes from the town of carnal policy. What is carnal policy? It's the policy of doing things that appeal to your flesh. What makes you feel good? If it feels good, what? Do it. If it feels good, do it. That, that, that's the world's wisdom, okay? And, and if it, it makes you feel good about yourself, and it, if it inflates your ego, do it. All right, But Jesus told the story of the rich man building the bigger barns for himself in Luke chapter 12, verse 18. Then he said, this is what I will do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I'm going to store my grain and my goods. And verse 19, and I'll say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Eat, drink, and be merry. Just indulge the flesh, the carnal desires. And God's response, you fool. This very night, your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? Don't be fools in this world. Don't live for the flesh. Don't think God isn't going to call you home someday. And you're going to leave everything behind. You're not taking your home. You're not taking your car. You're not taking your finances. You're taking nothing with you. Do not be a fool. And this life is very short. It's very, very short. Paul's words concerning the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, 32. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. He said, if there is no resurrection, then hey, go for it. But guess what there is? A resurrection. And we will stand before God as Christians and the world will stand before God as his judge, as their judge. The world will emphasize carnality. Eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow you die. But then we have these three other words, morality, legality, and civility. Now, carnality, carnal policy, is where we're told worldly wise men lives. 
But he mentions another town. He says the town of morality. And, and when you get to the town of morality, look for Mr. Legality. And if he's not there, look for his son, Civility. What's all this about? Well, Mr. Worldly Wiseman is giving advice to Christian how to deal with his burden. He's saying you need to go to carnality and feel good about yourself. Okay? And you also need to go to morality. And when you get there, look for legality and civility. So, so what's going on here? Well, let's take it apart. You go to the town of morality. Visit the town of morality. Stay there for a while so that you feel better about yourself. Because all you need to do is be a good person. That's all you got to do. Live a morally good life. Be religious. Attend church. Get baptized. Join a church. Take part in some charitable giving. Serve others. And be a good person. What's the number one answer you, people will give when you say, why do you think God should let you into heaven? What are they going to say? Because, I'm a, because they went to the town of morality. That's why. They're good enough in their eyes. This is the lie from the pit of hell. This is the world's wisdom is what it is. And that's what they're saying. This is how you deal with your sin. You make sure your good deeds outweigh your what? Your bad deeds. And God has this wonderful scale in the sky that it's going to be okay and you're not as bad as Hitler or Stalin, so he'll let you in. And they fall for the lies of this world. And so many have listened to worldly wise men and failed to find the narrow gate and gone astray into the town of morality. And there's literally tens and thousands and millions of people every week that go to church who think they're good enough. All around here and all around this world. Can I tell you something? That's why you and I are there to confront the words of worldly wise men and point them to the truth of the word of God. Now, even Christians, though, fall back into this trap of morality. What do, you, what do you mean by that, Pastor Scott? Well, I think there's Christians who fall into sin, and then they try to make deals with God that, God, if I do this, you'll understand me doing that. Do not fall into the same trap the wisdom of this world and try to placate and soothe our guilty conscience living in sin that we know is sin, but if we do enough good deeds, God will understand. That's not how God deals with us. Do not play these games with God. It's called repent of your sin and stop living in sin and stop trying to balance it out with good deeds for God. Now, go to the town of morality and go see legality. Mr. Legality, who is that? Well, legal means the law, the commandments. It means if I just keep the law of God and I just keep the commandments, I'll be okay. I was sharing the gospel today with a guy named Charlie. He stopped by the house and, you know, the hail that came through in Oswego. And so everybody and their uncle wants to replace your, your roof right now. <laughs> and so uh, this guy, Charlie, came by and... Um, worked for a company called Cat, K-A-T, and looking for business. And uh, so I started talking to him and witnessing to him. And he told me he understood that he needed to keep the seven commandments. And, and <laughs> I don't know what happened to the other three, but he told me he had to keep the seven. And, and I wasn't about to tell him that there were 10. <laughs> so I just, I just let him talk, okay? Um, but, but, but he was just falling back on if, if I just keep the seven, I'm good. If I just keep the five or the 10 or whatever, how many there are, I'm okay. And now I want you to understand in this chapter 
in Pilgrim's Progress, you see the utter frustration of Christian. He starts up this high hill of, of keeping the law. I want to read you a portion of the book. So Christian turned out of his way to go to Mr. Legality's house for help. But behold, when he was got now hard by the hill, it seemed so high. And also that side of it that was next the wayside did hang so much over that the Christian was afraid to venture any further lest the hill should fall on his head. Wherefore there he stood and, and knew not what to do. Also his burden now seemed heavier to him than while he was on his way. And now he began to be sorry that he had taken Mr. Worldly Wiseman's advice. He couldn't keep the law as hard as he tried. I want you to understand the high hill is Mount Sinai where the law was given to Moses. And, and the command to keep the law. See, Christian soon found out it was impossible to keep the law and that he couldn't save himself by keeping the law. Didn't Jesus teach this? You've been told do not murder. I haven't murdered anybody, but if you've hated somebody, you've what? You've committed murder in your heart. You, 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 you've been called, told don't commit adultery. I haven't committed adultery, but if you lust, you've committed what? Adultery in your heart. And do not lie and do not steal and do not covet. In other words, you've broken every commandment and so have I. We cannot keep the law. We cannot get to heaven by keeping the law. We are so utterly depraved. We are so completely sinful. We are wicked people. It's who we are. That's not what the world is going to tell you, is it? But that's the truth. You cannot save yourself, and I can't save myself either. We've all broken the commandments of God, and none of us can go to heaven because of our goodness in keeping the law. So what good is the high hill then? What good is the law? Romans 3.20. Because of the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Through the law comes the what? I now know I'm a sinner because I can't keep that law. I'm told not to lie, but guess what I do? I lie. I'm told not to steal, but guess what I do? I steal. I'm told not to commit murder, but guess what I do? I hate people in my heart. Think about it. So that's what the law does. It gives me a knowledge of my sin and shows me I'm in deep trouble. Not only that, we're told the law is a tutor in Galatians chapter 3. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. I stink at math. <gasps> so bad. I had a tutor in high school. I just, uh, I was so bad at math. I had to have somebody help me with math. What did that tutor do? Help me along to teach me. The law comes aside and teaches, teaches us and shows us our sin, okay? Galatians 3.25, but now faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. See, it's not this hill of the law that we must climb and get to. There's another hill we must go to. It's the hill of Calvary. It's a hill with a cross. We sang it tonight. At the cross, at the cross, 
I surrender my life. I'm in awe of you. I'm in awe of you, God, my Savior. Where your love ran red and my sin washed what? White. I owe all to you. I owe all to you. So it's not this hill of the law that I must ascend. It's the hill of Calvary where I fall on my face before my Savior. And I say, I can't do it. I can't save myself. Understand, this not only applies for salvation, I think it also applies for our sanctification as we work out our salvation, we're told in Philippians. Galatians chapter 3. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Verse 3. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? You can't perfect yourself by the flesh. Verse 5, so then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Even so, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that as those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. Those who are of the law, sons? No, those who are of what? Faith. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Later on in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't boast in my keeping of the law. I boast in the cross of Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me. Worldly wisdom has been crucified to me. And I to the world. For neither is circumcision, man-made things, anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Now, if you're frustrated in trying to keep the law to save yourself... Don't go to Mr. Legality, Mr. Worldly Wiseman says. Go to his son, Mr. Civility. Just take it down a notch. We've got to deal with that burden on your back. So be moral, be a good person, be legalistic, try to do all these laws, or just be civil. Just be a really nice guy. Just be a really nice person, just like Mr. Worldly Wiseman's really nice. Very cultured, gentleman very nice, very courteous, very polite, very kind. The wisdom of this world is all about self-effort and self-salvation. Don't listen to the wisdom of this world. Now, in other words, carnality, morality, legality, civility make the cross unnecessary. You don't need the cross if you can do it on your own. And that's the wisdom of this world. They hate the cross and they hate Jesus because they want to do it all on their own. I want you to get that. If you have the wisdom of the world, you don't need the cross of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.18 For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross is the power of God. To the world, it's foolishness because they're going to do it on their own. And we see God's wisdom, uh, we, we, God sees the wisdom of the world very differently because this same passage, 1 Corinthians 18, goes on in verse 19 and following. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of the world, uh, for since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. You don't come to God through the wisdom of the world. 
God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks, that's Gentiles, search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, that's the cross. To Jews, a stumbling block, to Gentiles, foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So recognize the dangers of worldly wise men. Contradict the word of God and the word of godly people. Emphasize carnality, morality, legality, and civility. And one more thing. They fail to understand the importance of faith, not works. They fail to understand the importance of faith. It's all about faith, not works. And let me just read some verses to you. Galatians chapter 2.16. Nevertheless, knowing that man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. You don't climb the law of law or the hill of laws. You go to Mount Calvary. Even we believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Will anybody ever be justified by keeping the law? Answer, not a single person. Nobody gets to heaven by keeping the law. Later on in Galatians chapter three, verse 10, for as many are the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. If you cannot perform every single thing 100% of the time and keep the law of God perfectly, you are cursed. What does that say about every human on this planet? That every single one of us is cursed. Now, Know or now that now that one is justified by the law, God before God is evident for the righteous man shall live by what faith. So it's not by the law. It's by faith. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. You know this. Let's say it together for by grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. All glory goes to God for my salvation and your salvation. It's all his. It's all his glory. We cannot go to heaven without him. It's all his. Hebrews 10, 38 and 39. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the persevering of the soul. Do not shrink back. Those who shrink back show that they are truly not believers. Those who persevere in their faith show they are true believers. And then Hebrews eleven six, you know this too. Without faith, it's impossible what? To please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So recognizing the danger of worldly wise men. They'll contradict the word of God and the word of godly people. They'll emphasize carnality, morality, legality, and civility. And they'll f- they fail to understand the importance of faith, not works. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this, this classic and the scripture that undergirds it, that teaches us very important truths for the Christian life. Lord, help us to combat the wisdom of this world with the foolishness of our God the cross of Jesus Christ, the only means by which anyone can be saved, 
faith in the Son of the living God. And we thank you for saving us. To you alone belongs all the glory. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.